you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 13. We're in Luke chapter 13 as we continue in our sermon series that we have entitled Parables, How Jesus Told Stories to Shape Our Minds. And if you've been with us this summer as we've gone through these parables, we have seen that parables are short stories that answer the big questions of life. We have heard Jesus deal with various questions that we often ask in these parables. We've seen him deal with questions such as, how can I know God? How can I find God even when he seems to be hidden from me? How can I be made right with God? How can I move closer to God? And you can go back and hear those sermons on those parables on our website or on our podcast, Redeemer Shoals, wherever you get your podcasts. But today, the question uh, that Jesus deals with, with this parable, is this question. How can I know if I need to change my life's direction? How can I know if I need to change my life's direction? Let me give you the context in which Jesus tells this parable, and then we'll jump right in and read it and pray and dive in together. The context is this. Jesus has just warned these crowds that are following him that they need to be aware of and read the signs of the times. And he tells them that they need to be quick to settle accounts with God by making sure their debts are paid and to be sure that they have been forgiven. And after Jesus is teaching the crowd in those ways, this is what we read happens in Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Hear now God's word. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let, alone, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here with your book open, and surely you have preserved these words, lo, these many millennia, in order to shape our hearts, in order to teach us and to guide us and to lead us in the way that we should go. And so we ask you this morning from your word that you would use these words of Jesus from so long ago to help us understand if we need to change our life's direction. Please speak to us and give us guidance about that. And I ask that you'd be willing to do so even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. How can I know 
if I need to change my life's direction? I was actually thinking about this question a, a week ago. I was not with you last Sunday. We took my oldest daughter, Elizabeth, up to Bloomington, Indiana, to move her into uh, her apartment as she's getting ready for college to start up there, just like it is here. I see many of our college students back. Welcome. We're glad that you are here. But as we went to Bloomington, you have to go through Nashville. And if you've driven through Nashville lately, you know it's a nightmare, right? There's, there's construction going on. There are wrecks happening. And like anybody does, of course, my phone was leading the way and Siri's talking to me. And she would come on and say, hazard ahead, right? I like the British accent. It makes me feel like it's more proper and fun, right? And so she would come on and say, hazard ahead, you are still on the fastest route. And I'm like, we're sitting in traffic, right? But sometimes she would come on and say, hazard ahead, redirecting. And she would give us another route we could go to get there faster. And as I was thinking about this question, how can I know if I need to change my life's direction? I was like, I wish I had Siri, not just for directions to Bloomington, Indiana, but that'd be great if I could know if I need to reroute things because of this hazard that I see in my life, is this a hazard I'm supposed to, am I on the straightest and the safest path and I just need to stay on this path and persevere? Or do I need to reroute and take a different, a different approach and change my life's direction? How can I know if I need to change my life's direction? And there are four questions I want us to learn to ask ourselves over and over again as we consider this question. And I want to show you how these questions come out of the text, but they just walk us through answering that question. How can I know if I need to change my life's direction? The first question is this. Let me ask you this. Here's how you can know. First question is this, are you taking time to reflect on your own life? Are you taking time to reflect on your own life? Consider the context. How do we get that question out of the text? Well, look at the context of what just happened here in, in chapters 12, verses 54 to the end of the chapter. And notice that after Jesus warned them to read the signs of the times and to examine themselves to make sure their accounts with God were settled and that their debts were paid or forgiven, Jesus has just told them that. And then these folks tell Jesus about some other people, right? And some tragedy that happened to them that occurred in another place. Now, just as an aside, if you're a student of history, there are many historians outside the Bible that confirm that Pilate, who is a ruthless ruler set up by the Roman Empire, that he did this kind of stuff all the time. Evidently, there were some Galileans, people from Galilee, who had come to Jerusalem to make sacrifices to the temple, and he had them killed, mixing their blood with the blood of their sacrifice, which is a horrible thing. While they're going to the temple for worship, they're killed by Pilate's men, an awful, terrible tragedy. Terrible thing that happened, and, and historians confirm that Pilate did these kinds of things all the time. But I'm not sure why these folks are bringing this up at this time. Jesus is just saying, I want you to examine yourself. I want you to look at the signs of the times, and I want you to examine your heart to make sure your account is right with God. And they tell him about these Galileans. Now, maybe it's because Jesus is from Nazareth in Galilee, from the city of Nazareth. Maybe he's from that area. 
And they think that Jesus might uh, be sympathetic toward these folks. Maybe they're trying to get him to make a political statement against Pilate, drawing him into some, you know, how, I don't know how terrible the governor is, and those kinds of things. But look at what happened. Jesus says, you read the signs of the time. You examine yourself. You make sure your account is settled with God. And they respond by telling about these other folks who evidently were so bad or had lived life so terribly in their minds that they were killed while offering their sacrifice. And Jesus calls these folks to reflect on their own lives, not to think about someone else in another place. You know, we often make that jump in our own minds too. When we're quiet, when we're alone, when we have time in the car, when we get home and are able to unwind, instead of taking time to reflect on our own life, it's a lot easier to focus on other things, to think about other people and what's happening way out there and just being glad that we're not in that kind of a situation. Some of us, instead of taking time to reflect on our own life, can get so focused on Fox News or whatever your news source is, or on what other people are doing on Facebook, and we can distract ourselves with so many things that are external to us, that are outside of our own lives, that we never take the time to reflect on our own life to see if we need to make a change. Notice Jesus does not let them shift the focus off themselves to others. Do you see how he responds? They say, hey, what about this tragedy that happened out there to these other people? Look at verse 2. Jesus says, do you think? He's calling them to reflect. He's calling them to think about their thought. Do you think that they were worse? And in verse 3, he says, no, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He says it again in verse 4. Do you think these other people were worse than you? Verse 5. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Eight times he uses this second person, you. Because they've tried to focus on other things, and Jesus is saying, no, what about you? So let me ask you that today. We're asking the question, how can I know if I need to change my life's direction? Well, you can't really know that unless you take some time to reflect on your own life, to take an inventory of what's going on. So are you taking time to reflect on your own life? Jesus does not allow us to shift our focus to other things. He's clearly calling us back to think about where we are with God and to think about the situation that we are in not letting us divert our attention to other things and to other people and what's happening in the world around us. Are you taking time to reflect on your own life? But secondly, as we think about this question, how can I know if I need to change my life's direction? We want to ask, are you taking time to reflect on your own life? But second, the next question would be, are you using the correct standard when you reflect on your life? Are you using the right measure as you take inventory of things? You see, if we do take some time to look at our own life, some of us only look long enough to justify ourselves in comparison to others, right? <laughs> I'm glad I'm not as bad as he is. At least I haven't done that. 
right? At least I hadn't killed anybody. I pay my tax. I'm a pretty good person. I haven't committed crimes like these people have. We often, if we do take any inventory of our own lives, we only look long enough to justify ourselves compared to others. You see them doing that in verse 1, right? When they tell Jesus about these Galileans. See, the thinking of the day was, if they had some huge tragedy in their life, that must be punishment for sin that they were involved in. And perhaps these folks took their, uh, their relative ease in life, took their, the absence of tragedy in their life to be a sign of God's approval and blessing, which is funny because they are being ruled by Rome at the time, not exactly a free people. They're under Pilate's dictatorial reign as well. But we see this mindset throughout the scripture that tragedy must be punishment for sin. And if I'm not facing a tragedy, then I must be okay with God. We saw it with Job's friends, right? Perhaps the clearest example, as Job goes through all sorts of difficulties in his life, his friends look at him and say, since you suffer, you must be a sinner. Because if you were right with God, then everything would be okay. And people talk like that today as well, don't they? There are preachers, if you flip around the the TV, there are preachers even here in this town that will preach and teach that if you are right with God, then you won't ever suffer or get sick. But you're only going to be blessed all the time with God. I want you to hear very clearly this morning That is not what the Bible teaches, not at all. A few examples, where would we go to look at that? Well, Ecclesiastes 7, I think, is a good place. We're in wisdom literature. King Solomon, the wisest man who's ever lived. In Ecclesiastes 7, verse 15, he says this, In the vanity of this life of mine, so in this meaninglessness in life, in this nothingness, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. He's saying it's weird. Sometimes people who do all the right things die, and people who are doing all the wrong things live a long life. It's not what you would think that it would be. He says uh, something again to that in Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 14. He says, there is a vanity that occurs on earth, the righteous who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is vanity. He makes a similar comment in chapter 9 and verse 11. The point is, the Bible teaches, there's no strict rule that if you are right with God, then everything's going to go okay. There are some people who are not right with God, and things go really well. There are some people who are not right with God, and they experience huge consequences. There are examples in the scripture of people who walk with God and are godly people and go through very difficult things. There are some people who walk with God and they do experience great blessing. I think of Abraham, David, Solomon, all people who walked with God who were very blessed by him, not without uh, difficulties in their life, but very wealthy people. Then there are folks who walk with God. I think of Elijah. Uh, I think of Amos, I think of Jeremiah, people who were faithful, who were very poor and never had too much. So we can't draw these conclusions 
that folks draw. Yes, God does bless us. Yes, we live in a fallen world and experience the consequence of fallenness. But there's no rule that if you're good, nothing bad's going to happen. Or if something bad happens, you must be a sinner. And if you hear people talk that way and they begin to say that, maybe you'll remember Ecclesiastes 7, 15 and 8, 14 and 9, 11. Maybe you'll remember those things. Maybe you remember the biblical examples. But the biggest place I would hope you would go is by saying, what about Jesus, right? The most perfect, the only perfect person who ever lived. No one was closer with the Father, yet born into poverty, is raised, loses his dad, either Joseph leaves or probably dies, and he's there helping his mom raise these kids as a carpenter. As he begins his earthly ministry, it's Jesus who says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Talking about planting churches, and we always want numbers, and we want to grow, and we're praying for 15 folks that would come on this team. Jesus only had 12 disciples, and by the end, he loses one of them. Numerically, he doesn't look like a red-hot success. He dies at 33 years old with nothing but his clothing, which is divided up amongst those who are killing him. So probably the greatest example of just because you're right with God doesn't mean we're not going to suffer. And that is not what the Bible teaches. I want to be very clear about that. But let me get back here to Luke chapter 13 and verse 1. These folks thought that because tragedy happened in the life of these other folks, that it was punishment for their sin, and because they're not experiencing tragedy, they must be okay with God. We've seen that is not what the Bible teaches. And Jesus seems to think the tragedies that these people have experienced, he even brings one up, the Tower of Siloam, that all that does is show how fragile life is, and how important it is to walk with God now. Because none of us knows how long we may have to turn to him and to turn from other things. And as we look at our lives and take time to reflect, we want to be sure that we're using the correct standard as we reflect on our lives, right? The standard is not, am I experiencing hardship or not? Godly people face hardship. It's not, am I being prosperous, right? Sometimes the wicked prosper. That's not the standard. The standard's not, am I doing better than other people? The standard is not, I just try to do more good than bad, just 50% plus one. Well, what is the standard? Well, remember our context. Jesus is saying, Read the times and see if you are in debt to God and be sure you settle accounts with him, that you don't owe him. Now, why would we owe God? Well, God has given us everything. We're born in this place and live at this time because of God. I have my next heartbeat, my, my next breath because of God. We owe him everything. He's given us everything, so we owe him everything. If you want the scripture on that, what a, if you were going to summarize the law, Jesus said you do it by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's all the law. Well, what he's saying is what, God, what we owe God is all that we have. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love him with everything you've got all the time. That's all you owe God is 100% of all you are and all you have 100% of the time. None of us meet that standard. 
We've all fallen short. We haven't even gotten to neighbor love yet, right? We all fall short of the standard. We're all in debt to God. So when Jesus says, look at your life, and if we use the correct standard, we all see that we need to make a change in life. We all see that we need to repent. So let me ask you, as we contemplate this question, how do I know if I need to change my life's direction? Number one, are you reflecting? Are you slowing down and taking some time to do some introspection, not so distracted by all the things around us? Number one, are you taking that time? Number two, are you using the correct standard? Did we go, God, all that we have, all that we are, all the time, and seeing that we fall short? Number three, third question we want to ask ourselves. Are you listening to Jesus? We could have said, are we walking with him? But I think it's important that we listen to him and we hear him speak to us through his word. Because many of us focus on external events and we avoid reflecting on our own life. And when we do take time to look at our life, we use the wrong standard. But the reason we use the wrong standard to evaluate ourselves is because we're doing a whole lot more listening to the culture than we are listening to the Lord Jesus who lives in our hearts by his spirit, who speaks to us through his word. And that's why we use the wrong standard, because we don't listen to him. We're not walking with him. When we listen to Jesus, we see that we fall short, and we need to repent once for all to make a commitment to change the direction of our life. But then we also... Day by day, over and over again, we're making small changes in our life, turning from sin to other things. You can't see this in the English, but in verse 3 and verse 5, Jesus uses different verb tenses for this word repent. And listen, I usually don't get into a lot of language or grammar unless it leads us to a point, and this does, so stick with me. Verse 3, when he says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish, he's using the present imperative. It's a command but it has continuing force. So over and over again, we're going to be repenting. But in verse 5, when he uses this word, unless you repent, here he uses an aorist tense, which is a single decisive action. So repentance is once for all time. There is a time in my life that I say, I'm not going to chase other things besides God. I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm going to walk with him. I'm making a commitment to do that. Repentance is a one-time thing, but it's also an over and over and over again, day-by-day task that keeps us moment by moment, turning from sin and turning back to God over and over and over again. I ask the question, are you listening to Jesus? And I ask that question for this reason, because if you listen to Jesus, you will see ways over and over and over again that you need to turn from other things and turn toward God. Let me just stop and ask you that question. What sin are you turning from right now? What sin are you really struggling with? What sin are you asking God to help you with? Is he put on your heart to work on right now? By his grace, he doesn't reveal everything wrong with us all at once or we would be undone. But maybe you've had that experience. 
where the Spirit begins to put His finger on something in your life and you think, I've done this all my life. And now I'm just starting to see this is wrong. I need to turn from this. What is that for you? What is it that the Spirit's putting His finger on that Jesus is pointing out in your life? What are you asking other people to come alongside and hold you accountable and to help you do better in this area? Because I promise you, if you are listening to Jesus, right? If you begin to do these things, if you take time to reflect on your life, and then you use the correct standard when you look at your life, and then you're listening to Jesus, then I promise you, Jesus is working on some sin in your life. And if you can't name one, then I'm concerned for you. Hebrews 6 says, after a while, we harden our hearts and and we just stop hearing the Spirit. Maybe that's where we are. If that's where you are, cry out to God and say, I'm not convicted by anything. Lord, would you show me what you would have me to work on? Or maybe you've never made that one-time single action that you are committing to follow Him, and that's what it is that you need to do and to allow Jesus, day by day, to show you ways that you can walk with Him. I believe it was the old Puritan John Owen who said, either you're killing sin or it's killing you. Are you listening to Jesus? He'll show you what you need to work on in your life. Last question. We're asking the question, how can I know if I need to change my life's direction? The fourth question we want to ask ourselves, are you serving the purpose for which God made you? Are you serving the purpose for which God made you? Look at this parable Jesus tells in verses 6 through 9. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he, the vine dresser, said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. I don't know about you, but the further we go in the study of the parables, the more I'm amazed at what Jesus could do. In a short period of time, not many sentences, And as we think about these stories, how they shape our minds and change our thinking. I mean, think about this story. If you came in here today and I just stood up and said, look, you need to start doing what God tells you to do or you're going to experience judgment. And a lot of folks preach that. Maybe you've heard preaching like that. If I did that, most people respond and are very defensive That's not where I am. I am producing fruit. That's not what I think God is like. I have these other ideas, and we're very defensive. But the genius of Jesus and these parables, he tells this story, and he helps us to see God's point of view. And he he asks us to think about it. If you own a vineyard, and you are dependent on this vineyard producing fruit to eat and for you to have money— and you plant this fig tree, and you pour all your time into doing stuff, and it's not producing any fruit, then what would you do? And of course, all of us would say, I would get rid of that tree and bring in one that is producing fruit. Our favorite teams, if the coach isn't getting wins, replace him with another coach. 
Maybe that's the parable Jesus would tell today, right? If my, the guy in the number four slot and batting cleanups not hitting home runs, then get rid of him and get some guy in here that can hit home runs. Of course, that's the response that we would have. So through this story, Jesus helps us to see God's point of view, that the people of God are a tree that God has planted. And God has put us here, or after we come to faith, he has left us here with a job to do. And if we're not going to do that job that God gave us to do, then we need to get out of the way and let God put somebody in this place who will do the job, and they can take our place. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. And when we think this way from this point of view, of course that makes sense. The parable helps us to see that if we don't serve the purpose we were made for, then we do deserve God's judgment now for our failure to produce. Oh, but do you see also the incredible patience of God? Do you see that in the text? Sometimes some of us have been hurt from the church, and as soon as we start to talk about God's judgment, that's all we hear, and we don't hear anything else. So listen, if that's where you are, listen to me. Judgment's not the only point of this parable. In fact, I would argue the bigger point is that the tree is given more time to produce fruit. The tree is given another chance. The tree is even given help to produce fruit. That's the good news of the gospel. Look in verse 8. The vine dresser says, let it alone this year until I dig around it and put on manure. Now, you may have come here today and say, I can't believe that we're going to say manure here in church. Some folks, it's your favorite Sunday. I've been going out to children's church. I'm in first grade. I can stay here. They say manure in here. I knew it would be fun, right? But the vine dresser is saying, I'll dig around the roots when he says that. He's saying that he's going to dig so he can loosen the soil and more moisture can get to the roots more easily. And when he says he's going to add manure, that's fertilizer so the tree can get what it needs to be fruitful. The vine just is saying, I'm going to carefully nurture this tree and give it more time and to give it all it needs to produce fruit. Notice, the tree has done Nothing to deserve such special attention and care. The tree hasn't produced anything in three years. The tree has done nothing to earn more time. But God is so patient. And we see this incredible patience with God, with people who do not deserve more time, with people who don't deserve another chance, with, with people who don't deserve to be given more help. Yet God is so patient with his people. Now it is true. We do see the impending judgment of God in this parable. But the message is clear. God has been patient and will be patient. But the tree needs to start producing fruit or it will be cut down. The people of God do need to start serving the purpose for which God made us or we will perish. God will raise up other people who will serve the purpose for which he made us. But notice the parable is open-ended. 
Jesus doesn't tell what happens to the tree. We don't know what these, how these people respond, right? That's the beauty. Jesus is calling us to reflect on our lives, to use the correct measure, to listen to him, to think about what our purpose in life is, and if are we serving the purpose for which God made us. The end is still open. He's inviting us to respond. Now, as I preached through this sermon, I thought one of the things I wrote, well, that just begs the question, how do I know what the purpose of my life is? Let me tell you the answer to that question. That's another sermon for another day, right? And I didn't really talk about that because Jesus doesn't talk about that here. I would encourage you to, to read the scripture. Let me give you a, just a couple of very quickly things to think about. Certainly, you're here to glorify God by how you live your life. Read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, when you get down to verse 16, Jesus says, So let your light so shine before men that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So there's something about how we live life that's pointing people to the glory of God. Matthew 5 and verse 16, that's at least part of your purpose in life, to live in such a way that people see what you do and glorify God. Acts 1 The resurrected Christ is talking to his followers, and he says, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you at Pentecost, you will be my witnesses. You're going to tell people about me and what I have done. What do witnesses do? They testify. They talk about God. That's part of what your purpose is as well, to live in such a way that you bring glory to God, to tell people about the goodness and the glory and the patience and the purity and the holiness and the goodness and graciousness of our God. It's what we all said together in the call to worship, right? Psalm 145, we said one, one generation would commend God's works to another, that we're to speak of the glorious splendor of his majesty, that we proclaim his great deeds, that his abundant goodness Uh, that we would celebrate that, that we would joyfully sing of his righteousness, that we would tell of the glory of God's kingdom and speak of his might so that all people may know of God's mighty acts and the glorious splendor of his kingdom. That's the beginning of an explanation, right? The things that you do and the things that you say should bring glory to God and to have other people fall in love with him. What does that look like for each one of us? Man, I wish we had community groups tonight to tease that out and how it might look in each one of our lives. I don't know exactly how that looks in your particular life, but in some way, your purpose is to live in such a way and to speak to others in a way that they see how great God is and they glorify him. Are you serving that purpose? Have you thought about it? Have you been intentional about seeing those things happen? The good news is, God is patient with us and gives us more time. The good news is we can produce fruit if we're connected to Jesus, who in John 15, read that this week. It's another great vine dresser passage. And Jesus says, look, if a, if a person remains in me and I in him, you can bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. The bottom line is this. God is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He wants all of us to make a change in our life's direction once for all time and then day by day over and over again. We're to repent while there is still time. 
The beginning of life with God is seeing our need for God and turning to God. That is repentance. Maybe for you, that's going to be a day by day over and over. Maybe for you today, you need once and for all time to make that commitment to say that's what you're going to dedicate yourself to. I would love to talk with you about that. I'll be at the back door after our service. But either way, I hope you see that God is so incredibly patient with us. And that as we learn these truths, the clock will tick only so long before our time to repent is over. And we do face consequences of not turning to God and walking with him. Life is short. Tragedies do happen. But the greatest tragedy occurs when we are given time and given all we need to turn to God, but then fail to do so. Let's pray and ask God to help us avoid that fate. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these stories that Jesus tells. I pray that they would shape our minds and shape the way that we think about things. Help us to reflect on our lives this week, to use the correct standard, to listen to the words of Christ, and to take note of whether or not we are living out the purpose for which you make us. Please make that clear to us, that you would be glorified in this generation that you'd be willing to use even broken and messed up people like us to bring great honor and glory to yourself. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.